You're listening to IT Market Buzz, sponsored by Copy Punch IT. Here's your host, Kimberly Duran. Ardith Albee is the author of eMarketing Strategies for the Complex Sale. She is CEO and B2B marketing strategist for her consulting firm, Marketing Interactions Incorporated. Ardith is focused on helping B2B companies with complex sales create e-marketing strategies that use contagious content to turn prospects into buyers. Her articles have appeared in CRM Today, Selling Power, B2B Magazine, and Enterprise CRM News. I'm just curious if, in your work as a content evangelist, have you ever been with somebody when they experience a breakthrough where when they see results, they come back and say, oh, I see it now, I see what you mean? Oh, absolutely. I did a pilot for an IT company recently, and they gave me three months to prove to them that nurturing works. And it was an engagement, <laughs> you know, which is really tough because they have, what, a nine-month sales cycle? <laughs> and here's three months to prove it works. And we did a re-engagement campaign with past leads, and they actually were able to add $4.5 million to their pipeline within three months of the pilot. Um, that that pretty much convinces people that it works, you know, and, <laughs> and it's hard to get that result in a three-month time frame, you know. I mean, it really, really is, and I think our advantage was was that the leads we reengaged weren't that dormant. Um, but but the hard part with a lot of this is people will say because they have this quarterly framework, you know, in their head, prove to me in a quarter in a three-month pilot that it will work, and and nurturing is about the entirety of the buying process, right? And quite often, the companies I work with don't have a three-month buying process. So it's really hard to prove, and marketers need to take a longer-term view. And I know businesses report on quarterly metrics and that type of thing, and they'll have to do that, but they also need to develop longer-term metrics and transition metrics, you know, that they can use to show business users the trends over the long term. Let's talk about some of the common misconceptions that people might have about what makes for effective content. Um, thinking company-focused content is actually customer-centric. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's, I think that marketers really need to learn what the differences are and what, what engaging content really is. And there's an awful lot written about it out on the web, but a lot of it is really superficial and high level. So it's a lot of people get they need good content. There's not a lot out there about how to create good content, you know, how to make it contagious, how to get it to do what you need it to do. And unless you have a huge background in writing and that kind of thing, you're not, it's, it doesn't come naturally. So marketers need to learn these new skill sets. They also need to learn to embrace technology. Marketers aren't real great with technology because, well, let's face it, they didn't have a lot to work with. They had the basic email system and that kind of thing. Now as the technology has developed with marketing automation and these new tools we can use for measurement and and social media measurement and all these different things, marketers have got to learn how to use technology. And I'll tell you one other thing that drives me absolutely crazy. With the ability to publish content, there's tools out there you can use blogs, you can use, you know, other technology tools to get content published and get it out there, to have to stick your content into an IT queue and wait two weeks or three weeks to get content published is not Mm -hmm. working in your favor. (laughs) There are tons of technology tools out there designed for business users that don't require you to know HTML and all that stuff. And we've got to start 
bettering our skill set so that we can actually deal with real-time marketing and create content that works. Since that drives you crazy, do you happen to have any resources for that available on your blog? Um, I believe I have an ebook on it. I probably have some blog posts on it. I'd have to remember what's out there, but I just did a webinar on it, actually. Oh, we can post a link to it then in the show notes. Yeah, but it, it really is critical. We've yes. got to get up to speed, and doing things the old way just isn't going to get you there anymore. <laughs> the other thing I really think is that we've forgotten how to have conversations. We want to talk at everybody and say, this, buy what we have. This is, you know, you need it. You get all this stuff. And we, we've forgotten really to how to have an interaction. I talk to a lot of people that are like, well, I want to be on Twitter, but I don't know what to say. You know, <laughs> it is a bit of a challenge, you know, to try and figure out as a marketer and not as your personal self, really, but as yeah. a business person, how, what do you say and what do you do? But we've really got to embrace learning this stuff. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about the difference between a random white paper and contagious content? Sure. Um, A random white paper is a white paper that's focused just on getting information out. Basically, it's, it's something that a company thinks is important. Contagious content in the form of a white paper is focused on a specific persona. It's written in a more engaging way to help the reader visualize what's being talked about and it's focused entirely on their perspective. And so we may be sharing company expertise, but it's all developed around the point of view of the intended audience, and it provides helpful action tips they can, that can help them improve what they're doing today, as well as ideas for why they need to solve the problem tomorrow. So it has to be valuable. Talk about content as marketing currency. So what we want is we want our prospects to pay attention, and then we want our prospects to to take action. And how we do that is by creating content where they perceive recognizable value immediately. Contagious content really brings exponential rewards back to the producer, too. It does. And, you know, the whole point is, will people pass it along? Another thing to consider, too. Buyers have conversations with other people within their company when you're not in the room. So the more buyer-friendly, buyer-focused your content is, the more ideas that you can help them visualize, the easier it is for them to take your ideas into the hallway conversations or meeting room discussions that they have with other people on the buying committee, and that way you're still in the room, right? Your ideas are what's driving the conversation. That's really the point of contagious content. I remember in your book you mentioned that a lot of companies find themselves customer-centric, but a lot of uh, prospects actually don't find them customer-centric at all. That's what the research shows, yeah. (laughs) And it's different because think about it. When you're within your own company, you have this tunnel vision. I'm passionate about your products. It's what you really know. And as marketers, now that so much of the interaction has moved online, we don't actually see or personally interact with prospects and customers that much anymore. So we have to develop new skills. But when we think, it's really funny, when we think we're being customer-centric, we're actually quite often missing the mark because we don't Mm -hmm. make the complete shift. And so I was working with a company the other day on their messaging, and we were reviewing what they had created in their nurturing program, and there was, you know, their opening for a content piece was on point except for two words that changed the whole meaning back to focusing on them. That's how oh, interesting. So it's you know you really have to train yourself to pick up on those nuances because they make a huge difference. 
And it was really funny because, you know, she kept arguing with me saying, no, this is customer focused. I said, no, it's not. Look right here. And all of a sudden, the light bulb went on. She said, oh, my gosh, I didn't even see it because we're not trained to look for those things. Kind of a whole retraining of skill set, really, to, to make sure that you stay focused on your buyers because it's so easy to slip back into what we know so well. And I see your book as a great framework for marketers to become aware of what really needs to be present in order to create contagious content. Thank you. Yeah, I hope so. (laughs) So let's go to the B2B buyers. How well do you think most marketers really know their buyers? I don't think they do. Quite frankly, when I start working with clients and I say, okay, talk to me about your buyers, what I generally get is we sell to the C-level executive of this size company in these particular industries. I said, great, tell me about them. What are their pain points? What are their problems? And they go, well, you know, they're responsible for the data center. Really? <laughs> okay. <laughs> God, you know, I mean, it's, so they don't, you know, they don't really know. They don't know um, what keeps their, bu- their buyers up at night. They don't know their perspective about the problems they're dealing with. And so marketers tend to make these broad assumptions that really address nobody because they're, they're too broad to be specific and helpful. And so I was just reading um, a report out by Forrester where they interviewed tech buyers about um, salespeople meeting their expectations. And pretty much it was, you know, that the buyer said about 15% of the meetings they have with salespeople meet their expectations. That's really sad. And the reason is because they say salespeople don't understand their roles and responsibilities, don't understand how their business operates, don't understand their industries, you know, those kinds of things. And we've really got to get better both on the marketing and the sales side. Mm. Let's talk about the contrast between what companies think their prospects are interested in and what the buyers are actually looking for. Well, you know, I think it goes back to the tunnel vision and us being passionate about our products and that kinds of thing because we want to talk about the features. Oh, look at all the neat stuff our, our solutions do. We forget about why is it important to the buyer that they can actually do that and what else are they going to be able to do that they could never do before they had your product? How does it impact business objectives? We seem to fail to connect this to a specific business objective or metric, right, and build the business case. We want to say, well, you'll improve productivity of your employees. Great. What does that mean to me exactly? <laughs> you know, do you know what I mean? And so, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to make you more effective. Great. What does that mean? We're going to improve your efficiency by how much and what's the impact to my company? Why do I need to be more efficient? Do you know what I'm saying? And so they don't actually answer buyers' questions, and they don't get specific enough to really address something where the buyer can see themselves and go, oh, yeah, that's exactly what I'm dealing with. God, please help me. And they don't get that close. And so it's all about here's our product, here's our 57 bazillion features, and look at all the cool stuff you can do, and in the process you'll increase productivity and shorten sales cycles and whatever, but they never tell you how or why. Everybody says those same things. I mean, I can run down the laundry list of here's all the things you can increase or decrease, which is what a product has to do when you're solving a problem. You're usually trying to increase something like revenues or decrease something like costs, right? But if it doesn't make any sense or have any value unless you tell the how and the why, right? And what you're going to get on the other side, in addition to reduce costs, it can't just be, okay, you're going to save money. It has to be what else is involved in getting there. And the other thing that, that companies don't think about is that there's always overlap. I work in uh, 
complex sales, usually IT, so high-ticket items. And if you're going to implement change, chances are it's going to spill over into other departments. So they never think about what are the other obstacles that could jump up in the way of this thing because it's going to affect other things than just what you're looking at with this one decision maker. So the biggest problem that marketers have is they don't look at who are all the people involved. Everybody wants to get to that decision maker. Well, it's not just a decision maker. There's a whole group, a consensus, if you will, that has to be gotten to 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 get this buying decision. Marketers are ignoring all these other influencers, and the thing about influencers is that they can't say yes and sign on the dotted line, but they can most definitely say no and dig their heels in, and then there goes your sale. Do you have any theories about why marketers don't already have a better understanding of their buyers? Sure, because uh, it's, they've been focused on company. So it's all about, our company's great. We just sold 300 new customers this, this quarter. Revenues are off the charts. Our product just won these awards. Look at how great our product is. Look at all these new features. Oh, we just launched an update. Look at those features. Right? <laughs> I mean, seriously. I mean, if you look at content, that's what has been the norm, and that's why it doesn't work. It's not so much that marketers don't want to change. It's that they, they aren't quite sure how to change. But then there's also a lot of pressure and turf battles, if you will, that go on with corporate websites where the other the executives say, no, I love that tagline. We're not changing it. Or mm. we've got to put our products everywhere. It's all about the product. Well, it's not. And even if marketers want to change sometimes, I encounter in companies where I have to sit and convince other influencers, right, that are keeping this from happening, that it will really work. And we do a lot of pilot programs, right, to test and prove business case and, and get buy-in for all these changes. And so sometimes it's just that companies are mired in their own stuff. Well, they've always done it this way. This is their culture, and you have to really show them what the difference is and how they can change. I think marketers are also used to being in control because remember in the, in the old days when the information wasn't flowing rampantly around the Internet, you could only get so much information about a product or trying to solve a problem or whatever, and you'd have to call up and engage with a salesperson to get that content doled out to you, right? So sales would be in the conversation for most of the buying process. Well, now marketers have to provide that relationship through content and interactions much farther through the process, and sales is only invited in at the end. Buyers are now controlling when they want to talk to somebody because there's so much information available out there that they can self-educate. Ah, that's why I feel you're the keeper of the secrets. I guess marketers who aren't really that ambitious about increasing their revenue might not care too much about this, but anybody who is actively supporting the goals of their CEO and growing your company and increasing sales is going to want to know what you're talking about. Well, and the problem is if these marketers sit in status quo, which is what that is, if they think, okay, we're, we're the revenue leader, we'll just keep doing what we've always done because it's working, how long do you think it's going to take before the companies that embrace um, true sharing of valuable content are going to overtake them? Quite mm-hmm. frankly, if you can buy the same or similar product down the street from some other vendor who's giving you great information and showing you the expertise that you're going to get in addition to their product when they buy from you, who, who would you rather engage with? Now, mm-hmm. IBM will only get you so far, right? But if you're no longer helpful, <laughs> then the little upstart down the street is having great success and also spending time to share expertise that you don't get from somewhere else is going to get a lot more attention because what products are basically 
there's no one product that you can only buy from one person or one company, right? Basically, products are commoditizing, and it's the company, the relationship, the added expertise you bring to the table. And customers want partners. They don't just want to go buy a product. It's all about the outcome. It's what they can get. It's not about the product. So it seems to me that some of the major reasons this doesn't happen enough in companies, even though they know they should be doing it, are time, energy, and status quo. Yeah, there, there's that too. But here's one other problem that I've seen in a couple of client companies I've worked with lately. Marketers think that every piece of marketing content that they use in a nurturing program or that they put on their websites or whatever has to be one of those big beefy things like a white paper, an ebook, a webinar, whatever. And then you get into the discussions, for example, with a white paper, okay, we need a graphics design, right? We need content layout. We got to hire the writer. We got to go through editorial. We got to blah, blah, blah. So, okay, we're six weeks out now from having that piece of content. <laughs> it's, uh-huh. it's not helpful. So then I'll say to them, well, why don't you use articles? And somebody said to me the other day, you mean I got to go get the media to write about us? And I said, no, no, no. Articles, think short form content. Think 800 to 1,000 word article on one tight idea that you can mm-hmm. share with people. And the beauty of those is that you can put them on web pages so you can actually track people's response to that content. You can measure how long they spend with it versus a white paper that they download and take away. You can build your SEO results because you're adding content to your website. People are ADD. They're attention deprived. They're busy. They don't have time to sit down and read a 12-page white paper. So if you start embracing shorter form content, you can still deliver a lot of value and it makes your life so much easier. You know, it takes a couple hours to write a, a, an article and then you can put it on a web page. No, con- no design, no layout, no graphics, no six-week process. Especially with the larger companies that I work with, they're convinced it has to be this big fancy PDF file. They give up a lot by doing that. And yes, you do need some meaty stuff every once in a while, but then you need to use it like a hub. You have other articles that, that link into it that are on the same topic and that kind of thing. We need to start embracing more short-form content, more blog posts. And blog posts can be used in newsletters, for heaven's sakes. We have to quit reinventing the wheel every time we do something. Do you have any practical insights on how marketers can tap into the resources they have inside their company to create the content that they need? Oh, that's the tough one. <laughs> that's the tough one. I'm working with a lot of clients, like I said, doing social media programs, and marketers are into the impression that they can go and get their engineers and their inside salespeople and other people, executives at the firm, to write blog posts. So they have content. Well, nobody has time. And if they're not writers, if if writing isn't something that comes easy for them, and they're going to brush you off. And so I have clients that are struggling to get other people to produce this content. And I said, well, you need to sit down and write it yourself then, or you need to go do interviews with executives where you facilitate that in a five-minute conversation, take notes, and turn it into a blog post. Or you need to come up with creative ways to get this content. It's very difficult to get other people in your organization to create content. So you either need a good outsource provider that you can direct, give them, here's the editorial guide, here's what I want, produce this for me, and these are the formats I want in a word count and whatever, and find some good ones. There are great ones out there. Or you need to hire somebody in-house or make it part of somebody's job. I would say you need a full-time person, and the amount of content that you need to market these days is a lot. But it can be done, and the thing that makes it easier is embracing short form for the majority of the time and then releasing a few nice major pieces here and there. 
In part two of our interview, Ardith Albee talks about how to grab your prospect's attention and lead them through the purchase process with ultra-contagious content. You have been listening to IT Market Buzz with your host, Kimberly Duran. Please visit our sponsors at www.copypunch.com.